0: This is the Alien UFO Podcast episode 86, and I'm your host Simon Bowne. My mission here at the Alien UFO Podcast is to investigate all things that are part of the wider UFO phenomena. I'm looking at UFO sightings, alien abduction, historic cases and other related events. Every Thursday I release an episode of Past Lives Podcast called Paranormal Stories, and that almost always has UFO cases as well as information on evidence of an afterlife. And if you want to hear the extended version of this interview, which is nearly an extra 23 minutes, you'll need to join the Patreon campaign, where there are now over 80 episodes in the back catalogue. For $5 a month you get an extended episode every week, and for $2 a month you get an extended episode every month. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. This week I'm talking to Mark Carlotto about his book, Not of This World, An Emerging Picture of the UFO Phenomenon. Mark is an engineer, scientist, and author with 40 years of experience in satellite imaging, remote sensing, image processing, and pattern recognition. His journey as an independent scientist has taken him to Mars and back by way of planetary mysteries, world and local history, archaeology, and most recently, ancient origins and UFOs. Hi Mark, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks Simon, thanks for having me.
0: So we're going to be talking about your book, it's called not of this world, an emerging picture of a UFO phenomenon. But uh, as far as UFOs goes, where does your interest come from?
1: Well, it started years ago. Uh, you know, probably back in the uh, 60s, watching old, you know, movies uh, in the States, uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, um, The Day the Earth Stood Still, you know, movies like this. Um, which were motivated by, you know, sightings of the, in the 50s, post-World War II um, reports uh, of, of flying saucers, as they were called at the time. And it was just one of, you know, I, I, I had a general interest in space and um, in space age and uh, space race at the time. And, um, you know, I think it just kind of, uh, the interest sort of waxed and waned over the years. Um, I never really got into, um, you know, I I was, as a kid, I used to build rockets and um, I almost uh, blew myself and my sister up, but I never, thanks, my parents are thankful, I never really got into that as a profession. Instead, I got into uh, more of the information sciences, um, uh, satellite imaging and uh, AI and things like that. And uh, but in the course of my career, I got interested in other you know topics, not you know within the scientific mainstream. And so I kind of got back into UFOs after many years. Um, and uh, in the '90s, I was involved in some early some investigations with some other researchers. And uh, that's really where where this work work got started, probably in the '90s.
0: One of the things I love about your book is that. There's so many uh, kind of photographs in there and so much analysis. And I also like the way it um, goes over time. One of the first things you mention is Roswell. Do you have an opinion on Roswell and whether it really was a saucer or not?
1: You know, it just seems that over time it becomes more, it's, it's certainly become more uh, convoluted and complicated as to what, what went on there. Um, you know, there were people that made statements, uh, you know, on their deathbed, uh, attesting to certain things that they saw. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a data guy, and, I you know, I need hard evidence. And the problem with, with a lot of this stuff uh, in this arena, in the UFO now called UAP arena, is the lack of, of uh, physical evidence other than video. And, and that's sort of what I that's what I've become most focused on is the imagery and the video analyzing that because that's that's data. Uh, that's something you can, you know, hang your hat on. Um, but, you know, a lot of stuff that's been coming out in the States, you've been following the news with all the Senate hearings. Yeah, um, on UAP. Right. There's a lot of testimony and it's a lot of a lot of stories. He said, she said which is interesting but uh as as a scientist i need more than that and uh so you know getting back to roswell there's a lot there were a lot of stories there were some provocative photos of, of, of debris from the uh, supposed crash purported crash but um nothing that's ever really existed or been carried forward in physical form, you know, as, as a specimen that you can actually take a look at. I mean, you can go and you can look at a moon rock uh, and maybe even touch it, but you can't do that with, with the uh, you know with what they said they found at Roswell. So um, so it's you know it was an important event. I think you know you know I think uh, the you know Kenneth Arnold citing you know the so-called you know flying saucers uh, his stories reports of uh, the first sightings um in the uh, in the 40s uh, were you know that i mean I, that really beca- it became the beginning of the modern you know modern history of ufo research and so this was a very interesting period but any one event i don't know um uh, it's it's hard to say really um i'm i'm just going to I'm going to kind of pass on that
0: one. After, <laughs> after saying all that, I'm going to pass on it. <laughs> it's just that uh, idea for me is that we know that they put out press release saying that they've got a disc, and then the next day there's another press release says, no, no, it's a weather balloon. And it just makes me think, well, these these guys, are they're so stupid, they can't tell the difference between a disc and a weather balloon. That's the basic thing that I go back to because they, a part of the historical record, they did do those press releases.
1: Yeah, and and uh, on the so on the one hand, you, you have to think that something was recovered, um, but human beings have a hard time keeping a secret after all these years. That something didn't come out, not even uh, so much just an. I mean, reports and stories are coming out now, but if this. Technology, if this alien technology was recovered back um, I guess going on, what is that, uh in the 40s? Uh that's like 80 years ago. Is that right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that some of the reverse engineering stuff that people have been talking about um uh should have I mean we should have pl- flying cars by now, right? Um and and so I just I, I kind of question if if something was recovered, it it perhaps it was so advanced that it just defied you know our ability to reverse engineer it. like if you know, if a caveman came across a cell phone, what would he do with it? Uh, it's just too too far advanced so there's there's that possibility, but then the fact that Nothing has ever been released in in terms of hard evidence. you know it's just it, I, I just have to wonder about that and um, and that that's sort of what that, that's that's what makes me uh really totally on the fence because as you can you know, like you say, you have to wonder about these stories, how they could have gotten it so wrong, and you know how they flip- flop, and it wasn't the only one. there were many other incidents. Um, all over the world, and yet, but it's a pattern that nothing really ever was passed down from any of these things. So it's like I, I don't know, um, but I do know based on the uh, information that I analyzed in the book that that there's something going on. There's 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 a uh, there's something there, and uh, and I think as as scientists, it behooves us to Try to understand the phenomenon as best we can. I mean it's it's certainly at the edge of of, of our understanding um, of, of our world, maybe beyond our world, as the title of the book goes, it may be not of this world. Um, but I think it's it's probably one of the most important scientific questions of the day, and you know I'm kind of concerned uh, on how it's being uh, handled by by organizations such as NASA. Uh, Uh, In particular, in the scientific community, I, you know, actually quite impressed by in the NASA, in the NASA briefing, um, maybe getting a little ahead of things, but um, I'll just finish this thought for now that in the NASA briefing, there was some really good presentations by uh, the federal uh, uh, aviation administration and um, the, uh, you know, organization that's been set up to investigate UAP. had some really good presentations but nasa's presentations were you know less than overwhelming and um and it sort of represents i think how the scientific community um, is responding the mainstream scientific community i think there's a lot of scientists that are interested in this but the mainstream academics institutions uh I'm, i'm a little concerned in in how they're responding and they their response may not really lead us uh in in directions that are better that are, in which we're going to gain much knowledge or insight but maybe we can talk more about that later
0: well one thing that seems to me is that some scientists it's a, it's a word it's like you throw around scientists what does that really mean but there are some that seem to be very skeptical and don't seem to have any humility and they're not prepared to admit that maybe they don't know everything and they might be wrong on this
1: well, you know, in, in in the in the broadest sense, you know, uh, to be a science is is sort of the uh, endeavor in which we 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 seek to know something. It's it's to know. It's to know. It's to learn to understand. Um. And in its pure form, I think, I mean, that's what should motivate a scientist is to is to want to understand, want to get to the bottom of it all, to know the truth or at least as close as we can come. I mean, can't yeah, know everything, but, um, you know, we can pose a hypothesis and do experiments and see where it leads. And, and that's, you know, that's sort of the way science works. But the problem is that, you know, science has become, um, it's a bunch of sandboxes or paradigms. Um, and, you know, you have the guardians of the paradigms, which are the, you know, the institutions, the, uh, you know, universities and journals, and they sort of decide what gets published who gets funded and it's based on sort of sticking uh you have to sort of stick to the party line and uh the party line appears to be as far as nasa's concerned that first of all there's no evidence that uap are extraterrestrial and I actually, I have to agree with them on that. In a slightly, I have to cap, caveat that a little bit. Um, but they they don't believe that they're extraterrestrial. Um, but then you start looking at well, okay, how do they want to approach the problem? Well, they want to collect the best data possible, calibrated data. You know, it's like they're doing. Um, it's like everything else that they do. They they really they're really good at planetary imaging. They're really good at You know, Hubble and space telescopes and, you know, uh, uh, astrophysics and learning about um, planets and galaxies and, you know, in outer space, uh, in the physical, uh, physical universe. Um, But they're kind of applying the same kind of approach to to UAP, which are transient. You can't predict, you know, when they're going to show up. how long they're going to be there, where they are. Uh, And they want like the best possible calibrated data of these things. And it's like, dudes, you know, you got to kind of get, you got to take what you get and do the best you can with it. That doesn't seem to be their approach. They have a very high standard. And I'm afraid that that high standard is really kind of counterproductive to to any kind of investigation that they're going to say, well, this data isn't good enough. You know, they're saying that the data collected so far really is not good enough. And it's like, you know, you've seen, I'm sure you've seen these videos of Tic Tacs and um, the other uh, videos released yeah. by the U.S. government. And it's like, it's like something is really going on. And then not only that, but they've released a lot of the so-called metadata, the data that goes with these uh, reports, radar uh, reports that, that uh, say these objects, you know, were in low Earth orbit. And within seconds descend to you know tens of thousands of feet and then from there they go down to the surface of the water or even below you know know, almost instantaneously and pilots report the same kind of behavior it's like how do you how is this not uh how are these not quality reports that you need to take seriously but yet nasa they want to they want to do their own data collects they want to sort of manage the data they want to they want to shape the science that's that's what they want to do when it comes to UAP, and that really concerns me because they've shaped the science of SETI, and you know, and I, you know, what has SETI discovered? Yeah, you know, absolutely nothing. There's been no reports of any, you know, no verifiable reports of anything extraterrestrial, or and then I can get into other related areas, having to do the planetary exploration. What? may or may not have been found on the surfaces of mars and the moon that they deny uh, and they marginalize and trivialize and ridicule and so they want to apply the same approach that they developed in seti to uap it's like it doesn't give me a warm feeling so i'm a little down on 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 nasa's involvement in this whole thing and i think um, any progress is going to be made is going to be made by independent scientists i think
0: but there's a saying is it that science progresses one funeral at a time? With, <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. With, um, <laughs> with, it's like with disclosure as well as science, it's almost like the younger people are starting to come through now, and that's why we're having the congressional hearing. And maybe with NASA we need the younger people to come through.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful, but, you know, even there's – I don't know. I think I think people are born with a you know, looking at at uh, at humanity statistically. You know, I think uh, you know there's a bell curve. Most people are kind of sort of in the middle, and then you have your extremes. You have you know your crazies on either extreme. Um, and you know, I think even you know the this, the current generation now there there are some. There's a new breed of astrophysicists that are just as uh, Just as arrogant and just as they're sure of themselves and they're uh uh, and they're you know using the same playbook as their predecessors in you know dismissing marginalizing ridiculing work that they didn't do that doesn't fit into their view of the world um not saying that it's wrong it's like just doesn't fit into their view of the world and you know so but Who knows? Um, I think you're right. Things are changing. The environment's changing now. It's, it's okay to talk about, uh, craft. In fact, I recently read a paper in a, um, in an astrophysics journal and it talked about a formation on Mars, a very unusual formation. And one possibility is that it could, you know, it could be a, a saucer partially buried in the sand. It's like, whoa, that to say that in a journal, now uh i mean after all these years you can you can do that but you know a few years ago uh, the paper would have been rejected just based on that one <laughs> that one statement the whole paper could have been uh you know really well done and and uh full of useful information but if the authors made a statement like that in the you know discussion at the end um discussing uh, and uh, you know results and implications and they said, well it could be uh a down saucer partially buried under the martian surface it would have been no you can't you can't write that you're going to if you, if you don't take that out we're not publishing your paper but now it's it's in some journals it's it's being allowed so you know you're, you might be right there might be uh things might be opening up a little bit and, and for that we should be hopeful i think
0: if we could talk about some of the pictures and the videos that you analyze in the book sure. i wanted to ask you about yeah, there's the video of the crescent moon and the astronomers filming it through a telescope. I think, and he kind of zooms in, and then you see these three craft. What did you make of that video?
1: Um, when I saw it, I was I was I was amazed. Um, I mean, I, I you know it, this is probably not the sort of thing uh, you know you would say, but I I, I totally bought it because. I'm looking at this and I'm zooming in and I'm really scrutinizing it and it's like, my God, if someone generated this using CGI, uh, it's it's beyond anything I've ever seen. I mean, the ability to uh, to get all of the atmospheric, you know, sort of scintillation, the the way, you know, if you look at things through the atmosphere, they kind of dance around a little bit. And you can simulate that to some extent. But the, act, the way everything was sort of pulled together, the shadows, the, the cast shadows of these structures on the moon, it was consistent with objects being at, you know, at sort of the proper height. And so, so having said that, it's like, but if these objects are at the moon, at these altitudes, you know, ten, between, I think it was like 10 and 50 miles, something like that, uh, to be able to see them to be that size, they would have to be enormous. And that totally blew my mind um, you know so it's not like, it's not like you're dealing with you know these uh you know the flying saucers from the nineteen fifties you know craft that are like you know uh our aircraft but you know hundreds of years more advanced it's it's there's there's a high degree of strangeness it's like every report, everything you see is different it's like you're not seeing like um like, the, you know, um, like a particular model, uh, you know, flying saucers showing up, um, you know, in the U.S. and in Spain and in the U.K. and, you know, where, where have you. It, all the sightings are a little different and they, they, they patterns change over time. And then you throw something like this in, which is totally uh, uh, just in, in terms of just the sheer size of these things. And the speed that they're moving, because they're moving around the moon, you know, at, at a rate and based on their you know their distance from the moon and all, you can do the math and figure out well how fast are they're, they moving? And they're not in orbit; they're moving much faster. And I did a similar analysis of space shuttle videos uh, back in the '90s, and uh, it's similar accelerations, accelerations that would uh, that, that human occupants could not tolerate. Um, and, and so, um, the implications were just, it just blew my mind. It's like, you know, I don't know where to put it. So you just sort of, uh, analyze it and just put it out there and, you know, and, and then you move on. I don't know. Uh, but I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what they are, but they seem to be real.
0: And you say somebody did a CGI recreation that kind of proved in a yeah. way that it's a reality because the, the cgi just couldn't match it
1: oh well, it, it proved it to them and it proved it to people that want to buy that uh because you know a lot of people you know they they want they don't want this stuff to be real a lot of people want it to be real uh yeah so you have the yeah you, you know this is the problem right you have the believers and then you got the skeptics the believers yeah, for believers you you sell them anything and they'll buy it um and the skeptics are will <laughs> buy for anything, no matter what you do. uh you know, so I you know, I've always sort of seen myself as in the middle, and um, I think for the skeptics, the uh, you know, the the CGI was good enough, but uh, when I looked at it, it's like, yeah, it's 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 good, but it's not as good as the as the original video there's there's a lot there's a lot of subtlety in that that was not captured.
0: The only thing that really stands out to me, which makes it seem suspicious, is it just seems so convenient that the guy happened to zoom in at that spot on the moon and I know. the crafter in the center of the frame.
1: I know, I know. There, there's, there's always that, right? Um, so, if, if not of this world, in my, uh, my. Uh, my work, you know, uh, was oh, based on that one video. Then, you know, it would be on 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 maybe somewhat shaky ground, but it's not the only video. Um, you know, I I was talking about the space shuttle videos that I analyzed in the 90s. I think that's where I really became seriously interested in uh, applying sort of scientific methodologies uh to the study because prior to that you know there were photographs uh not too many videos because this is you know the 90s 80s you know (laughs) long before cell phones uh not not a lot of data uh, available probably the best documented case up to that point was like the gulf breeze sightings in florida uh, which i had a very small part uh at the end in um but uh with the space shuttle videos like these are this is data that's collected by you know United States spacecraft um and it's beyond uh you know it, it has a high degree of integrity and you you really can't say well it's been it's been baked or you know CGI'd or, or anything like that. It's like it's it's legitimate data. So okay so what's going on? Well the Again, the mainstream, the skeptical approach was like these are ice particles and uh, they're moving just in some strange ways. But you know they're, it's perfectly explainable. But you know when you start doing the the analysis of the video of the, ge- the camera geometries and distances that you can infer, and then from the distances, the speeds that these things are moving, they're you know they're moving at velocities, accelerations that are not all that similar from uh, those objects moving around the moon. They weren't as big, but they were still pretty large. Um, so, okay, so you got, so maybe the moon video was taken under somewhat suspicious circumstances. Let's say it's just, yeah, it just happened to be there. Wow, <laughs> like you say, it's a little suspicious. But the space shuttle videos were not taken under those circumstances um but yet the sort of the the analysis the analytics is is similar um and i you know and i don't want to get too head of things but you know similar things are true for the tic tacs and um and other sightings there are patterns you do the analysis and the speeds that these things are moving uh, as extraordinary, extraordinary as they are, speeds and accelerations, uh, you know, and not just tens of Gs of accelerations, but thousands of Gs. Um in just incredible accelerations going from zero to many times the speed of sound in a fraction of a second, in a 30th of a second. Um, when you see like these things that the, these uh, uh, sightings reports that have sort of the same uh, physical observables it's like that's the thing that really sort of to me says something there's something going on here so even though any one report might have some degree of uncertainty you may not be totally sure of it like the moon when you put start putting things together it's it's called convergence of evidence it's like in in a trial you have circumstantial evidence and it just starts adding up it's you know indicates sort of the same uh, outcome. Um, it, that's that's the part that starts to pique my interest and in, and in curiosity. And and you have that uh, repeatedly and increasingly. Uh, uh, I think in in these reports that they're following, there are certain patterns and there's certain observables that you're seeing repeatedly. And um, and th- and this is what I find interesting.
0: There was uh, one of the pilots and Congress talked about how the Tic Tac moves so fast. I was talking to a physicist who analysed, do you know the Japanese Airlines flight that went over Alaska in the 80s? They saw a UFO and it was a cargo flight. So there was just three crew, but the NORAD radar picked up the UFO, the Civilian air traffic control picked up the UFO. The radar on the plane picked up the UFO. And this uh, physicist I talked to, he managed to get hold of all the data from those different places and analyse it. And he said that at one point the craft jumped 70 nautical miles at 500 times the speed of sound, 10,000 g's acceleration. That's the sort of thing we're seeing, isn't it? And it's, as far as we know, that's way beyond human technology.
1: I I do not I did not know of that uh incident. At least I don't remember it. Uh, and, and and perhaps after we're done, uh you can just uh, provide me a reference. I definitely want to check that out. I, I did not know that. Uh but but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I guess the point that we're trying to make here is that it's not just a nice you know, so if that were taken out of context, it's like this is impossible, right? But then you see the the tic tacs and you see they're behaving in a similar way and i analyzed video of um uh of actually several uh, five videos taken uh in jerusalem of a sighting uh over the dome uh dome of the rock uh, western wall in jerusalem and the flight characteristics are similar to that uh, of of tic tacs so you know and again so you get more of these cases sort of just sort of reinforcing that yeah they're very strange but hey it's it's not just um it's not a, an isolated in- incident they seem to be occurring with some frequency and regularity and and a pattern
0: and with the temple mount videos there's is it there three of them that seem genuine and one's a fake
1: yeah so uh february 2011 and uh there was a report um in uh by israeli news uh of of this incident and a video came out shortly thereafter on huffington post and it was a fake it was you you, i mean it's laughable there's a soundtrack bunch of people with southern accents are talking and it's uh it's really quite uh it's quite silly um and it's the the video is 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 just so obviously faked. Anyway, um most most people bought that and it's like, oh yeah, I saw this, you know, and it's it's it was shown to be a, a, a fake. And it's like, okay, well, turns out there there were five other videos. Um and I, I got a hold of them and I analyzed them. And they're taken what's interesting is they're taken from different locations um, around the city which is, which is interesting because if they're all taken from the same direction, you could say, well, maybe just the, you know, optics, whatever conspired to make it look unusual, but you're getting sort of the same video from different directions and different, uh, different distances. So some are higher resolution, some are lower resolution. Uh, but I did the motion analysis and they're, they're all very consistent. Uh, whereas the huffington post one is completely different uh, so i you know, i show this i do this analysis in the book um and um you know this i just have to say there's there's a there's a lot of tr- you know there's a lot of photos from videos um and on the website not of this world uh, ufo.com there's some some of the original videos um but i'm not shy with with uh you know, with charts and and, and a few equations, Uh, you know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. And and I think someone I once worked with said equations are worth a thousand pictures. Um, But, you know, most people see an equation, it's like, oh my God, you know, run for the hills. (laughs) But um, what I show using some simple math is that um, these um, different videos have uh, similar uh, Uh, behavior in terms of their the the motion uh, the motions in them and one of the videos is close enough that you can actually use the size of the dome uh, temple mount uh, to calibrate what the size of the craft is and the distance and so forth and actually use that to uh, come up with uh, not a relative speed but an actual physical speed and you know the accelerations and speeds are like I said, comparable to the, to the Tic Tacs. But, you know, a lot of people, again, are of the, of the uh, impression that this was, you know, an incident that was, that was hoaxed, but it's not true. And the, the evidence is compelling. And I have to believe there's, there's other cases like this that have been marginalized, ridiculed, dismissed, because it's like, it's impossible. But now, we're sort of in this new, this new era now where of openness, like you're suggesting that we're perhaps uh, things are going to get better. And so I think we, it's important, and this is why I do this in the book, I go back to some of these historical cases, and I look at, look at them again. There was another case in, um, in Canada I, look, I, I looked at, the, uh, called Guardian, uh, uh, took place in CARP in Ontario, and uh, very unusual case and again that was sort of dismissed as being just too weird but now you know i think we've got to sort of re-examine uh you know they call them the cold cases right uh open them up again and see because we may we may learn something from them um and again it gives us a you know going back in time it gives us some context gives a historical perspective that this is not just happening now it's been happening it happened it's been you know it's happening in the in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s. And, you know, I just touch on this in the book, although there are many other books that delve into this much more deeply, um, that the history goes back to Middle Ages, biblical times, uh, the Bible. And so we're dealing with a phenomenon that I think is not just... uh, it's just not uh, uh, extraterrestrials in flying saucers it's it, it's a it's a phenomenon that's uh, much deeper um, and, and 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 certainly uh, possibly even uh, has existed as long as uh, humi- maybe as long as humanity's been around who knows uh, but it's not just a modern phenomenon. Uh, but I digress <laughs> yeah.
0: because don't you have a like a list of weird things that have been seen on the moon like centuries ago?
1: Yes, yeah, um I mean there's I, I sort of touched on this a little bit in the book, but um you know, prior to this, my other uh, my other scientific transgression was the face on Mars. I did a lot of work in the um eighties and nineties on investigating uh, unusual objects on the surface of Mars. And this got me into looking at lunar anomalies as well. And so that's kind of where I kind of got, uh, got started, uh, with my background in, in the, uh, in satellite imaging, it's really looking at, uh, satellite data, analyzing satellite data. And, um, what i you know when i was looking at lunar phenomena, i i learned about this thing called transient lunar lunar transient phenomenon or transient lunar phenomena or something like that it's forget how how the acronym goes TLP or ltp uh and uh it's like you say it goes back hundreds of years reports back to the early days even pre-telescope um just seeing lights on the moon you know lights moving around uh strange They call them vapors, like glows. Um, I mean, some could be, you know, some kind of outgassing or something. You know, the moon is not totally uh, inert. Um, There's still some activity, uh, geological activity. Um, But it seemed like, you know, maybe there's more to that than uh, more going on than just that. So that's a that's a whole other area that is unrelated but perhaps somewhat related you know i think deep down maybe all of this stuff is is, is connected in some way but you know you don't want to jump there right now i think you want to spend as much time sort of because that's what science does right science science tries to take a complex problem and take it apart decompose it just into, into simpler problems the problem is that if you take it to the extreme you uh, you know you you break it down to a point where it's almost trivial, and you solve that problem, but you haven't really solved the big, you know, you've you sort of lost the big picture. But, you know, I don't want to say that UAP and you know planetary anomalies and uh, perhaps even uh, ancient mysteries on Earth are all connected. They may be, but I think it's maybe best to sort of, sort of treat them separately and see what we can learn about each one individually. Within some context, you need some kind of a framework, some context for interpretation, but not to uh, say, well, it's all you know, it's all aliens or something like that, and you know, you're done with it. It's like, okay, you can say that, but then, you know, what do you, what does a scientist do with that? Where do you go with that? Um, so kind of trying to find that middle ground.
0: Talking about the moon, there's a thing about Buzz Aldrin seeing a UFO on apollo 11's journey to the moon he saw some light that seemed to be traveling along with them was that right
1: that's that's the thing he uh, he never reported it at the time because he said that if you reported it then you know back then um you're reporting you you know a ufo and he didn't want to do that so he he um but he says you know in a, in a later interview that you know, I saw something that was uh, that was unusual that was unident- unidentified, so I guess you'd have to call that a UFO an unidentified flying object, but you know he was always very careful about about what he said. Um, you know others like Edgar Mitchell were much more open to the idea um, I think it's just largely his worldview uh, having more of a spiritual perspective uh, seeing. That there's a bigger, you know, reality is a bigger uh, reality is bigger than just the physical world. I think being open to that um, sort of shapes uh, how you know shapes your response. Uh, And you know, you know, Buzz was a you know a pilot and uh, scientist, and you know, uh, you know, the best uh, best of breed. Um, And uh, I mean, you had to be to to pull off what they did in the in the 1960s. With the tech with the technology at the time you know technology that um is you know is primitive by today's standards um but uh yeah i mean it's come down that he did see something flying out to the moon and you know then you having you know g- given that then there's all these reports of you know what people what astronauts supposedly saw on the moon again it's it's hearsay there's no there's no photos Al- although some say, well, this rock in this photo is not a rock it's it's a, it's a saucer and you look at it it's like, well, it's kind of roundish, but is it a saucer? I don't know I'm not I would say that i mean it's it's hard to say um but it opens up the floodgates for you know w- you know that the astronauts were you know stories about the astronauts were being watched on the moon and and They had all, you know, all these protocols for dealing with, you know, reporting things that were unusual that never made it over the regular, you know, voice uh, comms channels and so forth. But, you know, again, it's it's hearsay.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of amateur radio enthusiasts listening in on all the communications. And if there'd been anything outside of the normal, they would have heard it.
1: Yeah, and maybe recorded it. That would have been great, right? Yeah. That would have been a, that would have man, that would have been something at that time because with, you know, with that technology, it's like how would you have fake something like that? Although I don't know, maybe it's it actually not beyond the realm of possibility. There was, uh, you know, Orson Welles um War of the Worlds <laughs> uh, radio broadcast, right? That was uh that was old technology people bought it.
0: You mentioned Gulf Breeze a little earlier and I bought that book when it first came out and I thought the photos in there were really good although I was a little suspicious of them but you've done some analysis and also I think was it, he, it was an Instamatic camera so it's harder to fake stuff and he also used a stereoscopic camera
1: yeah so so bruce uh bruce mcabee was the lead investigator he used a stereo camera uh at the end he had ed walters rig up something or he rigged up something for ed walters to take stereo photos because with with two cameras on a um you know on a stick a known distance apart you can then figure out the physical distance and physical sizes of things and that's what bruce was after um the the, the photos i mean there were so many photos and they're 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 you know remarkable and but you know a lot of people said uh you know again it was like and they you know they found supposedly they found a model in his attic and it's like oh he faked all these all these photos and and you know it was that but what would bruce actually asked me to take a look at was you know and you mentioned the idea of the uh, the polaroid instant camera which is you know you take a picture and out pops a um a piece of uh developing film that you peel off the uh, the front the front of it and then you've got a picture after you know so many seconds after a minute i think um and so the question was well how do you do uh, a double exposure with something like that i mean you can certainly rig the camera to do a double exposure but with a double exposure you you know you you're lining things up so that like that saucer is is in like the right the right place but you're doing completely blindly because you don't have you know you don't um, because you know you you took you took the earlier picture and now you're doing another one and you don't really you you don't really know what you took and you don't don't really know how that relates to what you're looking at now just very in in practice very hard to do To take a double exposure that's gonna uh, be like you could do in photoshop today. I mean, it's easy to do in photoshop today, but back then with a camera like that it would have been next to impossible. And there's a lot of a lot of these photos. So what Bruce said was, you know, look if if um if you did do this, you know, what could you uh, basically what what could you learn about or how could you analyze the intensities? And it turns out that if you have a um when you're doing a double exposure, in, a light intensity always adds. So if, you know, so, if the, so you, if the lowest intensity... So basically, you can't get anything that's darker than the background. Uh, I'll try to say it simply. And so you have the sky background, uh, and there are these little windows or portals, whatever they are in the craft. And you can show that the intensity... In those, in certain areas uh, on the craft, is actually lower than the background in in a number of places. Um, And if it were a double exposure, that wouldn't be possible. They would have to be brighter than the background because the intensities add. Uh, They couldn't be, they could be as dark as the background, but they couldn't be any darker. And so that was, you know, some, it's kind of technical, (laughs) a little somewhat, you know, uh, esoteric jargony um evidence but photographic evidence that these were not these were not double exposed they were they're not a fake um, that they were taken in one shot and uh and and so you know i and i think it's uh it's was a it was a remarkable uh series of events that unfolded over uh quite a few weeks or months as i recall uh and a lot of people saw this um and they were strange. there you know, they're. They talked. I remember the term I first heard it at the time with you know, these things to sort of wink in and wink out, like they just sort of appear and disappear. And it just, I think that was the first time I began to wonder, are these things really coming from physical space, or are they coming from somewhere else? Which is a you know, theme I explore a little bit in the book.
0: Yeah, and it's also the speed thing, isn't it? Is there some pictures there where there's a kind of blur? And it's almost like he took the picture just as the UFO shot upwards.
1: That's, that's right. And, um, and it was really interesting, uh, with the aerospace. uh, you know, back, uh, when the Tic Tacs were first released, uh, the, the program was called, uh, ATIP a uh, forget exactly what the, uh, acronyms stood for advanced aerospace technology I, anyway. The the head of the program, his name was uh, Luis Elizondo. He came up with a with a list of physical observables, uh, like five observables that um, that were, you know, typical of, of of these types of unusual events, these sightings. And one is the lack of any kind of physical signature. In other words, you have something moving at incredible speeds, but there's no sonic boom. So if you go from You know, zero to several thousand miles an hour in a thirtieth of a second. There's going to be a sonic boom. It has to be if the uh, if it's a physical object. And you don't find that um, dome of the rock, tic tacs, other sightings where things are just almost instantaneously moving. But to my knowledge, Bruce was the first to actually uh, show that because there was uh, that. You know that you, you talk about the streaks. Doing uh, his he did the analysis and and uh, his. And it, this is in the book. I don't recall. Do I have it in the table here? Um, I have a table of observables that summarizes results from all of these different. Uh, yeah, analyzing the evidence. Yeah. Uh, so the Gulf Breeze. So he measured. Uh, He estimated an acceleration of 156 Gs. So, you know, this is, in other words, something going from being relatively stationary to moving, you know, many times, you know, thousands of miles an hour almost instantaneously. But there was no sonic boom. No no sound whatsoever. So I think he was the first to really... um, Observed that, or, or it, Ed was the one that observed that. But based on his analysis, he sort of pointed that out. That that that's something that happens. Like that was.
0: And there's a great picture in the book of when he was driving down the road and he came around a bend, and there's a craft sitting <clears throat> there hovering over the road.
1: I know, I know, I know. That's that's. Uh, I I you know I just kind of I I I didn't analyze that at all. I I just kind of stuck that in there gratuitously, a little bit of eye candy, because it's such, it's such a cool photo. <laughs> uh, and it was really hard to enhance because it was dark and it um, uh, wasn't taken under the best of circumstances. Um, but I, I wanted to include that as one of my favorite photos. Yeah, yeah.
0: But one of the things about the craft in these pictures is that they're kind of unique. I haven't really heard of that description or seen any pictures or drawings of anything like that from any other UFO sighting.
1: I, I know, Simon. This is this is sort of the thing that you know, I mentioned briefly earlier. That there's like no model. It's not like you're seeing, um, you know, um, a, a mini or a Subaru or a or a Alpha Romeo or you know, um, it's, you know, whatever car you want to pick. In different places, or different uh, same aircraft, uh, different places. It's all of these things are different. Um, So, I mean, it's it suggests that we're not dealing with a uh, technological civilization like ourselves, where we make things that sort of cookie cutter. We, you know, mass produce something. All these craft are are different. You know, the Gulf Breeze craft are different from the ones in Guardian, which are different from the ones um, in i have a uh, uh, analysis of some reports from italy in in the book uh different from the tic tacs different from you know we see on the moon these are all everything they all look completely different so what are we dealing with are we dealing each one a different um different you know et group um you know that's kind of stretching it a little bit um so why you know why are they all different that's and and that's what suggests to me that we're not really dealing with a technological intelligence like ourselves, um, or an intelligence like ourselves, even necessarily a physical intelligence like ourselves. Um, and and this plus the fact that there's no signature, there's no, you know, as these things move, uh, they they move instantaneously, and there's they make no sound. Um. And um. I think it's it's also strangely consistent with with uh, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, their search for radio signals, which they found none. There's no no evidence of radio or any other kind of electromagnetic signals of extraterrestrial origin, which, if you're dealing with a physical intelligence building spaceships, maybe you're way more advanced than, than ours. Uh, you know, like in Star Trek or something like that, but yet they're you know if they're physically moving in space there's gonna be you know physical signatures associated with their movement. Um, they're gonna have radios that we may not be able to understand what they're saying, but there's gonna be signals there's gonna be radiation um, and we haven't picked up any of that. so it's like it's like in a sense, we haven't really detected anything um out there, but yet yet these things seem to exist. we're seeing them. Um, so it's like, what's going on here?
0: And then changing the subject a little bit, you talk a little bit about crop circle videos and there's the Oliver's castle formation video. And I remember watching that and thinking, oh man, that's gotta be a fake. So what did you make of that I video?
1: <laughs> I I know that's what I first thought too, but then I, I, I thought, okay, well, all right. The, the, uh, the video is it's taken, you know, really obliquely, you know, um, so you're on the ground, you're looking off in the distance. So it's not like you're looking straight down, right? Everything is kind of squashed. It's called uh, foreshortening. You know, it's just the way you, you see things when you're looking at things, not from above, they, they look different, right? From above, from the side, they they look, you know, the geometry is is just different, distorted a little bit. So when I took the the video and I, you know, I decided, well, let me stretch it um so that it, it looks like it's taken from above and um actually i i, I have a twitter the book came out i did it i had a twitter post with with that i showed a short video of that um same data in the book um and and it's you know kind of remarkable to see it uh you know in a sort of simulated undistorted way unfolding it's like wow that's pretty cool and then I thought, well, let me get a photo of the original uh formation um that was you know some photos that were taken later and uh and it's you know it's the same thing. it's like um it, it would have had to have been produced again it's it's one of these things would it would, would it have been impossible to do um I don't know maybe maybe not i mean again the technology at the time was not what it is today and even today would it would it be possible but it's just like the nuance it was so the nuances were just so it was so subtle um it, 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 the, and the way it um it sort of unfolded was was almost um i, I don't know i don't i don't want to use the word magical but it was something about it that was just really uh really remarkable and but for me the fact that it was really the same thing that we that i was able to find in these archival photos um and to my knowledge no one had ever taken that video and stretched it and tried to match it to some of these other archival photos of the formation and when you do that it's the same thing so it's like hmm so um you know and and then there was that in this milk hill and um you know, looking at these and doing motion analysis, you're not finding they're moving at the same speed as Tic Tacs. But there's other things that are going on. They seem to be, you know, in the Milk Hill video, as it flies past the tractor driver, it seems to, it, it, it appears to slow down and then speed up again. Um, and so there's these subtle things that suggest that it's something that's interacting with the environment. Uh, so it's a different kind of observable. Uh, it's not a sonic bloom or anything like that, but it's it's a behavioral thing that uh, suggests that okay, if you're if you're faking this, I guess maybe you could again, is it possible? Sure, but um it's it's really kind of subtle um, and it just it's it's possible, but is it likely you know that's where I would have to say no, it's not likely.
0: Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. And the book is not of this world—an emerging picture of the UFO phenomenon—and people can get that on Amazon, can't they?
1: Yes, they can. And uh, and and again, they can also go online to None of this world UFO, one word dot com. It's it's a blog of mine, and I have some articles, and they can find out. Uh, they can read about stuff that's in the book and some stuff that's not in the book. Um, that's that that's related to this uh in in this area so
0: and i'll put the links in the show notes
1: thanks for having me simon nice to nice to talk with you
0: yeah I, i really enjoyed it great conversation and that was an interview with mark carlotto about his book not of this world an emerging picture of the ufo phenomenon and a great way to support the podcast is to sign up to patreon where you can hear the rest of this interview which is an extra 22 minutes just go to patreon.com forward slash Podcast. If you join the $2 a month tier, you'll get an extended episode every month. And if you join the $5 a month tier, you'll have access to an extended episode every week. When you sign up, you get access to the episodes in the back catalogue, and they are ad-free and released two days before the free versions. And there are now more than 80 episodes in the back catalogue. And please check out my other podcast, it's called Past Lives Podcast. There are over 280 episodes. And on the Past Lives podcast, I look into evidence of the afterlife, such as near-death experiences, children with past life memories, mediumship, deathbed visions, and other phenomena. I also release an extra episode of the Past Lives podcast every Thursday called Paranormal Stories, and that almost always has UFO content. My website is pastliveshypnosis.co.uk, and the link is in the show notes. And in my work as a clinical hypnotherapist, I take people through past life regression. And when you book a past life regression hypnosis session with me and you've signed up to Patreon, you get a 25% discount. And I'm offering a free consultation call which could be booked on my website. My Instagram is the Past Lives Podcast with an underscore between each word. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or via your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out on any episodes. And thanks for listening. with the milk hill ball of light the the guy's filming the field and you see this ball of light move around and go over the tractor but didn't he find yeah. the tractor driver and that driver said he saw the ball of light
1: yeah yeah right it's a pretty well documented case and it was you know it was one of those things um you know i said i, I you know kind of been involved in a lot of stuff and uh,